Assalamu alaikum. This is Hassan Said, currently serving as Mutmim Umur Talaba for MKUSA, and you're listening to the second episode of the MK Achieve podcast, a podcast by the Umur Talaba Department, where we interview various professionals in the Jamaat to get insight into their working lives and how they got to where they are and what they advise for aspiring Ahmadi Muslim students. Today, I'm really excited to introduce our guest. Our guest is actually a Murabi. His name is Umar Nayyar Sahib, and he's a Murabi. So, Assalamu alaikum, Umar Sahib. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah, walaikum assalam, rahmatullah, sahab. Jazakallah for having me. I'm thrilled. Hopefully, the listeners and the audience can hopefully achieve something out of this uh, talking to a missionary. Um, <laughs> I know you guys uh, wanted to get different types of, um, you know, people in here and you know talk about their um, professions and stuff like that. So, it, it, alhamdulillah, it's a very good idea that you guys are doing this. So let's see how it goes. Okay, inshallah. So, so this is kind of an interesting, uh, you know, podcast because we're not doing, we already serve the Jamaat in, you know, various capacities. So we'll, we'll you know, we'll address that as we go forward. So just as, just to begin mm-hmm. with, uh, just tell me about your profession. What is the formal name of your profession? What are your daily tasks? And what is a typical work week like? You know, it'll probably be very, uh, very interesting for our listeners because we, when we see, when we see a missionary, we see them at, at Friday prayer, we see them doing like, Dars between Maghrib and Isha prayer, but what's what are the things particularly that we we don't see? You know, what are the things that go behind the scenes that are really important, but you know, the public isn't really aware of or knows about. Hmm. So, coming to the first point of what you asked, that you know, what is the formal name of this profession? So, whenever somebody graduates from Jamia Ahmadiyya Canada or or anywhere in the world, for that matter. Hazuri Anwar bin Aziz calls him, uh, like for example, my name Umar Nair Mubalighe Silsila or Murabbiye Silsila. So that would be the official title of Murabbiye Silsila. The word Murabbi is an Arabic word. It, uh, the root of that word is Rabb, which is Lord. And so if you go a little bit deeper and try to understand what Murabbi actually means, it means somebody who takes care of people or, or you know, brings their does a good upbringing of people trains people so in essence that's what the the job of a missionary or a murabi is two things one the tarbiyat of the community of our own ahmadis and then tabligh efforts to get more people to join the fold of islam Ahmadiyya. so that is the actual you know formal name of this profession uh second thing what is like a, a normal week or day look like for a missionary? So it depends. So each missionary has a different task and some missionaries are specifically for a department. Some have, you know, uh, different jamats to take care of. So it depends who you're speaking to. I can give you a general, you know, background as, as to what I do personally. So in 2018, when beloved Hazur came here to USA, during the National Amla meeting, he asked the secretary Vasaya if he has any missionaries working with him, and he responded, "No, Hazur, we don't." So after that, Hazur Anwar bin Aziz mentioned that there should be a missionary working in these two departments, one being Vasiyat and one Tarbiyat. He said it's important to have a missionary full-time working in these two departments. So after that, uh, I had just graduated out of Jamia, and that was. You know, it was a good opportunity. They posted me into uh, Lasiyat department specifically. So my work week is I work six days a week. 
um, even though I work seven days a week, you can't really, you know, because, <laughs> you know, you're here leading namaz throughout the whole week. And then, you know, one day I take off from the actual office here in Batu Rahman. So I take that time to, you know, spend time with my family and stuff like that, get other things done. So out of the week, I take Monday off and uh, Friday, Saturday, Sundays are the most busiest days in regards to Jamaat work. It's, you know, everybody has off from work and there's a lot of, you know, commotion going on here in the masjid and stuff like that. So, it, you know, this, this whole schedule, it, it starts and it stems from our actual schedule in Jamia Ahmadiyya. It was such a rigorous schedule where, you know, there's a reason why that is a seven-year uh, seven course. If you look at the actual coursework, it could be done within maybe three or four years. It's not that heavy where you can't do it in three or four years. But I think one of the reasons why it's, you know, spread out to seven years is because they want to inculcate like a life change in you and, and, and a way of, of living your life where you can utilize your time to the maximum. Right. So they tell you, you know, this is the time you want to go to sleep by. This is the time you want to wake up. You have this much time to do this. You have this, this much time to eat food. You have to be in school at this time. And from this time to this time, you know, till three o'clock, you're in school, you're working. And then, you, you know, you have a designated sports time of two hours. So this, you know, regimented, uh, systematic, whatever you want to call it, schedule actually builds you up. You know, I was looking at this on my hot page on YouTube. I saw a few of these you know, YouTube people saying why I wake up at four in the morning and how I, you know, yeah. I, I'm such a successful human being because I wake up at four o'clock in the morning, you know? So I was thinking, I'm like, you know, our beloved Hazur, may Allah be his helper, also has a very hardcore um, uh, schedule. Like he wakes up at three or four in the morning, he works all day long, and then he goes to sleep really late too. So why, you know, not only is this in like the religious world, but even in the worldly world, like, you know, you go, you look on YouTube, you see these people making so much bank, so much money because they're waking up early, grinding and all that stuff, you know. So this whole thing, it starts and stems back from Jamia and how they inculcate that level of, um, you know, try to always not to waste a single moment of your time, right? You, you devoted your life for the sake of Allah. You don't want to, you don't want to waste a single time and a uh, single minute, sorry. And how much the Jamaat actually spends money on the missionaries and other, you know, different expenses. It's just, it makes a person feel like they're not doing enough, right? Like if uh, you wish that there was more hours in a day to get more work done. So there's a, that's a basic brief uh, background as to the scheduling my schedule, I, I, go, I come to the office around 9.30, 10. The, the day officially starts at 10 a.m. here in Batu Rahman. Um, my work mostly consists of, um, there's a lot of office and paperwork that is involved in like mailing letters and stuff like that uh, with Vasiyat because there's a lot of correspondence with Rabwa. And because of that, we have to actually mail letters to people. Uh, other than that, the reason, one of the main reasons wanted a missionary in this department was that he gave a target of 50% of people to join Basiyat in 2004. And now, you know, it's been more than 15, 16 years, and we're still not even close to that target. So there was a need of promotion of Basiyat. So in a meeting with Amir Saab, 
he actually told me that he wants me to go to every single Jamaat in all of America and have these meetings with the local Jamaats and tell them about Vasiyat. You know, there's a lack of understanding of what Vasiyat is or the will is that the Promised Messiah taught and brought. So because of that, that was, that's another main aspect of what I do. Every month, I usually try to go to at least three or four Jamaats throughout America, you know, uh, go to one direction and try to go as many to local Jamaats in that area and then head back. So when I come back to Bath Rahman, there's always every two weeks letters come from Rabwa that we have to send and dispatch to the actual Musis that live in America. So there's a lot of work where, you know, paperwork involved and stuff like that. And then my, my usual day, it ends at Isha. So after Isha, after I lead Isha, I go home back, uh, rest for the day, and then same thing again the next day. That is the basic week for me in my scheduling. <clears throat> okay, so Alhamdulillah, that seems like a lot. I know, I know. I watched a video. It, it's it, it was it was titled on on YouTube, uh, the, the day a day in the life of a Jamia student, and it really yeah, shows. Yeah. It starts it starts from Tahajjud prayer and goes goes well till Isha, and through that they're they're doing prayers, they're eating like healthy meals, even making time for one or two hours of exercise. I thought that was this is just like you know. Like you were saying, like these these CEOs and those we hear about their morning routines, their schedules, their every second, you know, they're they're trying to get something out of it. And I think that's exactly in Jamia. It definitely is something like that. And same thing with Huzur. Every he always has different appointments, different people he has to meet, and it's it, yeah, it's really yeah. it's it's really motivating, you know, especially for for students to really see that see how hard these guys are working and how how really tough it is. That's that's quite amazing. And also another thing, Murabi, that was, that's really interesting. I actually didn't know that. That's what Murabi is someone you know cares for the you know the upbringing in a sense of you mm-hmm. know their yeah. people. That's really interesting. I actually didn't know that. That really and, and, it, and it's really it's really interesting thing to know. You know that you guys are are, are pretty much there for for the people. You know you're you're working for the people to get us get us closer to Allah Taala. So I think that's that's really amazing. Yeah. So, so like for example, you know how you mentioned that since there's. I was mentioning in the beginning that there's different uh, missionaries with different tasks. So within America, um, there's two missionaries that are posted with a department. So me and uh, one of my classmates, Tariq Saib, he's also, he's with the Department of Tarbiyat. But there are other missionaries and their daily routines are different because obviously they have to face the Jamaat in different ways. They have to take care of more than one Jamaat. You know, there's some missionaries that have four Jamaats under them and they're like about four, five, six hours away. So they have to make sure they take time out to go to each of their jamaats at least once a week, once a month. So it, it becomes very tough in that sense where there's, but that's the thing, right? Like regardless of if it's a religious job or any other job, like unless you put in the work, you're not going to achieve that, you know, that, that cream. You're not going to get, you're, nothing in life comes easy. Nothing good in life comes easy. You know what I'm saying? So because of that, you have to put in that work to achieve some sort of success. So the missionaries that, you know, have those four or five different Jamaats that are, that are under them, they have to go and travel to those Jamaats very regularly to make sure their, their local Jamaat is doing fine. They don't have any issues. They have to, you know, have Quran classes there, other different Tahir classes and stuff like that. So it all settles down to what that missionary's job is and what Hazur has appointed him to do. I see. It's quite diverse as well. I, I didn't know about all the different things that, uh, you know, missionaries could do. It's it's so diverse. And we when we think, you know, a normal per- person would just think the league and there'd be basically lead Friday sermons or something like that. 
but it's actually quite diverse and, and it's a lot of different types of thing, not just, you know, one, the same thing. I think that's amazing as well. A lot of variety. Yeah. Okay. So you basically answered our, our second question about different types of, you know, Murabiyan. So just, I'll get into our third question, which is how, how did you know this profession was right for you? So in other words, what drove you to become what you are today? And how do you discover that you wanted to become a uh, Murabi? So what, what really drove you towards this decision? Well, that's a, <laughs> that's a tough <laughs> question. Um, the thing is, everybody has their own story as to why, you know, they dedicated their lives, especially missionaries. And each one, each story is like better than the one that you heard before. I'm not like my, my story is nothing, you know, crazy or anything like that. But when I was in high school, I, I, I was thinking of going into forensics and stuff like that. I, I wasn't really into coming to Jamia. My mom really wanted me to go to, to Jamia because my father, he was a missionary in Rabwa and he passed away when I was very young. I was a year old. So since then, my mom would always, you know, have that in her heart, that desire that, you know, I wish my son would also become a missionary. So I remember when I was younger, when Hazur Khalifa Masir Rabi Rahmulalai's last visit to USA, we had a mulaqat with Hazur. And my mom expressed her desire that, you know, Hazur, I wish that he goes to Jamia, so please pray for him. And I remember Khalifa Rabi Rahmulalai grabbed me, he kissed, kissed me on the cheek. And then when I was trying to grab his hand and kiss his hand, he moved his hand so I would kiss the ring of Hazrat Masih Maud So after that incident, you know, time passed. I grew up. I forgot about that whole thing. And uh, a little later on, my mom told me a story that, you know, her nikah was led by the third Khalifa. Uh, and and his uh, prayer at the end of the nikah was that may Allah Ta'ala keep Vakfiz Zindagi alive within this family, that it always remain alive within this family. So then I thought, you know, I have the prayers of Khalifa Masih Salis, I have the prayers of Khalifa Masih Rabi, then in high school, I got to the opportunity to meet Hazuri Anwar, and then, I don't know, when I met him, I said, Hazur, my mom wants me to go to Jamia, please pray for me. And that's, I just said that. I, I wasn't planning to say it, but it just came out of my heart and I said it. So then again, Hazur, you know, he smiles, he's like, Allah Ta'ala Fazal Kare, and hopefully, you know, you get to do it. So I, I thought to myself, I'm like, I have the prayers of three khulafa, <laughs> you know, might as well try this out. So I, I, initially, I was very hesitant. I was like, you know, I was a very average student in high school. Sometimes I would pass with good grades, sometimes with really bad grades. But Alhamdulillah, I still passed high school. I, and I was, I, like I said, I was not a studious person. Uh, was, when it came time to actually apply, I was thinking about it. I signed the paper, you know, there's a form, it says that you're, taking a big step in your life where you're selling or forgetting everything and now you're coming in the sake and the fold of uh, of this waqf and that you are now doing everything for the sake of allah and that was a very tough night for me i remember i was just like is this something that i'm you know just doing for the sake of doing it because my mom wants me to do it or is this something that i really want to do i was confused and i i had i didn't know the answer but i just signed it and i sent it in anyway and i remember I went for Jamia, I got accepted, and like two, three weeks in, my mom calls me. She's like, I know I forced you to go to Jamia. You know, I know like if you really aren't about it, you can come back. Like, it's okay, you know, you just come back, it's, it's fine. Then I told her, I'm like, no, I signed this paper. I don't wanna just, you know, quit just yet. And then I'm like, you know what? Let me try, try this out. And it was very tough in the beginning for me because I was, I, I, I was a very 
you know, mama's boy type of kid. So it was hard for me to, you know, step out of that comfort zone and go live in a different country with people that I didn't know. But initially when I, when I did that, it started, I started to see a huge change within myself. Like I, like I said, I wasn't, I grew up in America and New Jersey. The place I grew up was Lodi, New Jersey. It wasn't the, the best place, you know, I think uh, it was like 80% Hispanic and uh, African-American. Uh, it was a very uh, poor area that we lived in. So that whole time initially, like when I, when I came into Jamia, I was very, I don't know if I'm really about this, if this is about, good for me, but I just stuck with it. You know what? I'm like, you know what? I've already done it. I've, I've accepted it. Let's do it. Let's try to go with it. I have the prayers of the Khulafa. My mom prays for me. Let's try it out. So Alhamdulillah, after time, I realized that was the best decision that I could have ever made, you know, because there's a Hadith, a Hadith Qudsi that if my servant walks towards me, I run towards him. And I saw that, you know, becoming true with me in my life that I had nothing before, you know, but because of the fact that I was trying for the sake of Allah Ta'ala and not anybody else, not for myself, not for anything, but for the sake of Allah, I was doing something that I saw so much happen for me that I could never, you know, deem possible. So when I saw that, that just gave me so much, you know, enthusiasm and, and courage that, you know, there is an Allah and he's there for you and he's going to take care of you. And that was a big thing that I had. I grew up with two older sisters. I had two older brothers. They passed away uh, when I was about 11 years old in a car accident. So I was the only boy in the household. I was the only male in the house. And a lot of people, you know, actually told me that, you know, what type of guy are you? That you left your mom and your two sisters and you're going for the sake of Allah. I get it. But you should be out there working. You should be taking care of them, right? And I, I, that would always bother me until I read this um, question answer session of Hazur and some Jamia student. He asked a, a very similar question. That Hazur, that people give me a hard time that I have left my mom and my young sister. I have no father. What should I do? Should I stay in Jamia or should I go back? And Hazur responded to him with such a beautiful answer that gave me and that solidified my reasoning to come to Jamia. And then that, I guess, gave me the, the power to, to, to fulfill it and complete, complete it. Hazur responded that, you know, the day you left for the sake of Allah, Allah Ta'ala, came and stood in your place at home. So therefore, whatever you did to leave all of that, you left all of that for the sake of Allah. Now Allah Ta'ala is taking care of your family. And the way it, it, it just resonated with me because I was in a similar situation and I, I truly like looked at it. I was in around fourth year and I thought about it. I'm like, is this, is this true for me? I, I thought back at the time of where I used to live. Alhamdulillah, you know, financially we were better everything we were we were much better than before i had left to jamia and I'm like that's a true manifestation of allah ta'ala right there so all these little things that you know that were like put together like pebbles right you put throw pebbles in one place at one point it's going to become a mountain so seeing those type of um events or vakiyats that happened in my life really gave me that uh, motivation to continue and uh, that is i think you know initially i was confused like i said initially i was very confused as to if this is the right thing for me but at the end i realized that allah Ta'ala's hand it really when it when it comes through it, it comes through heavy meaning it really helps you out 
Allah Ta'ala really takes care of his people. If you do your part, Allah Ta'ala does, does his part. So that really pushed me through and kept me going. Alhamdulillah, I look back at my life and how I was in high school versus how I, now, how I am now and where I am now. And I, I truly see that, you know, me just walking to Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala ran back to me. Wow, I, I'm just speechless after that story. I was getting chills all throughout, and especially when <laughs> you, you talk about Khali, uh, the fourth caliph, uh, Rahmullah Ali, when he, he gave that answer. I just, that was just so amazing. It's, it's a perfect, beautiful answer. And yeah. really, uh, it's it's really nice to have that, you know, thinking that Allah is there, is for you. When, when If you take the leap towards Allah, then he'll like, he'll make he'll make up the rest, the, all the problems that you have, you know, he, he'll yeah, figure them yeah. out. And so, that's true. Yeah, if you make that first leap, then it's so amazing. Wow. We have just speeches. Yeah, we had these stories. I always love these stories. I almost, I almost teared up a little bit. It's such a beautiful story. <laughs> no, there's nothing to tear about. <laughs> I just hope that the audience that is listening that, you know, sometimes people go through rough patches and everything, but that's the thing. We need to remember that there is an Allah Ta'ala that we believe in that is all powerful. And then when we forget about that, that's when things start to screw up for us. But when we, you know, turn back to Allah Ta'ala, that's when we realize that, you know what, I could have done this all along, but now, regardless, even if you're not doing it and now you're starting, Allah Ta'ala is there to take care of you, right? So that is, I think, the main point of the whole story, that regardless of what a person is going through, if you turn up to Allah Ta'ala for help, there is no way he's going to say, no, I'm good. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna help you. You know. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's that's truly amazing. I couldn't have. I couldn't have said it better. So we we've talked general. You know, for you know, get going to Jamia. Now let's start talking about specifics. What you know, what kind of schooling or preparation do you need in order to pursue you know a a career as a murabi? You know, what advice would you have for someone in high school, maybe considering it? Uh, they want to go to Jamia. They don't know for sure. Because I, I was doing some research and just looking at kind of the entrance, you know, exams and how much like you have to memorize. And I was like, this is definitely not easy. You know, you definitely need to know your stuff. So yeah. what kind of advice would you have if you're thinking about it or uh, who they should talk to or anything like that? Um, yeah, so I mean, I mean, the best person to talk to would be a missionary, especially the young missionaries that just, you know, graduated from Jamaica, Canada, from Jamaica, UK. There are some from both in here in USA. I would definitely reach out to one of them and, you know, have a one-on-one -on -one with them and tell them what you're feeling about, especially when it comes to Jamia, it, it, because they just went through it recently, a few years back, they have a better understanding as to how, uh, you know, people from who grew up here in America or UK or, you know, Germany, in these areas, how hard it or easy it was for them to transition into that life. I mean, if we think about, you know, one key point that I wanted to mention is that this is the only institution, if you think about it, this is the only institution in the whole wide world that is, you know, current to this day that has been started by a prophet and is still going on in the sense of an institution that Jamia Ahmadiyya was actually founded by Hazrat Masihim And although it wasn't called Jamia Ahmadiyya in those days, it was called Madrasatul Ahmadiyya, it was Madrasa Ahmadiyya. In 1905, there was two very prominent companions of the Promised Messiah, who were, who were very, you know, alim type people. They were very knowledgeable and they passed away. Hazrat Mulvi Karim Sahib, Sayal Koti Sahib and uh, Burhanuddin Jailmi Sahib, they both passed away. And Hazrat Masihim thought that, you know what, these two great scholars of my Jamaat have passed away. What's going to happen to the future of our Jamaat? 
So then he, you know, he decided to open or he laid the foundation of Madrasa Ahmadiyya, which was then later during the time of Hazrat Muslim Anhu named uh, or separated from Talimul Islam as Jamia Ahmadiyya. So then that's one thing that you are going to an institution that's foundation was laid by a prophet. So that's a huge thing, right? So it's, this is a very blessed uh, institution that has the foundation laid by a prophet. So that's a huge thing that people need to consider. Um, second point for somebody who's thinking about going to Jamia, you know, it's very hard to go against the stream. You see everybody going for that, you know, nice job to get that nice house, to drive that nice Mercedes, you know, everybody wants to do that. But if you actually speak to those people and, you know, understand how happy they are, you'll realize that no matter what people receive in the world, no matter how much money somebody makes, he'll never be happy unless he is content with his heart with Allah Ta'ala. Right. There's a hadith that says that the son of man, meaning man is so um, greedy. He would want so much more that if he was given two valleys of gold, he would want a third. No matter how, like, and that's true for us. You know, think about it when we get a new phone or we get a new, you know, PlayStation or something like that. We get something new. You'd be really happy about it. We take care of it. But then what happens after a few months? You start throwing your phone around. There's cracks on it. You start you know, caring less. And then because you want the next and the newest thing. So nothing in life will make you happy unless you are happy with your relationship with Allah Ta'ala. And that is the best way to have a relationship with Allah Ta'ala if you're the one telling people or teaching people about it, right? Hazuri Anwar Ta'ala bin Asl Aziz said that he wants all the waqfeen boys initially to first think about Jamia Ahmadiyya. That should be your first choice. And even not only for vaccine, this is for everybody, you know, something because you, you are now giving up everything for the sake of Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala will take care of them, right? A lot of people initially think that, you know, if I do go to Jamia, how am I going to survive? You know, we hear some crazy stories about our uh, missionaries that went to Africa, you know, they hadn't seen their kids in 13, 14, 15 years. Like, how, how does this happen? But that's the thing. When a person's going through it, Allah Ta'ala gives them the strength. I remember I had a mulaqat with Hazur in which my wife had written a letter to him. We had just gotten married. About 20 days later, I was sent to UK. So she wrote a letter to Hazur saying, Hazur, I'm very sad. Uh, please pray for me that Allah Ta'ala gives me strength. Uh, I'm missing my husband and stuff like that. So I had a mulaqat a few weeks later. I went in and Hazur asked me, he's like, I'm like, no, I didn't, I didn't have a fight with her, but um, she's just, you know, upset. You know, we had just become, we had just mar got married. So therefore she's a little sad. So Hazur tells, tells me, he's like, do you know how I found out about my daughter being born? And I'm like, no, Hazur, I don't know. Hazur's like, I found out in Al-Fazl that I had a child. <laughs> and I was just like, what? I was, I was shocked. I was like, you found out through a, a newspaper that your wife had just given birth. Like, how amazing is that? These are the stories of, of people like, of Habazur. These are our pioneer, you know, people who gave everything for the sake of Islam, right? So you hear about these stories and how Allah Ta'ala gives them the strength to bear them. Then all these other things start, you know, feeling less hardcore and, you know, you start trusting Allah Ta'ala more. And therefore, Allah Ta'ala shows you his signs you know helps you and takes care of you 
and then it makes it easier and he makes it easier for a person to who, who does you know sacrifice in the way of Allah that's you know that's we hear about the sacrifice of wealth and how people who sacrifice in the way of Allah for their money how much Allah rewards them right in the, the Holy Quran gives us the example of a grain of corn that you sow a grain of corn in the ground you receive an ear of, uh, of corn you get 700 times more and that's how it is that you give anything in the way of Allah he will return it manifold Wow, wow that, that's, that's amazing especially the example of Huzur how, how hard just he works um, I mean we think you know uh, you know if we see worldly leaders they, they enjoy you know their their different types of uh, comforts the worldly comfort yeah. these types of things but Huzur is always working and he's, he's working for us uh, responding to yeah, our letters right. meeting with us Mulakas different things it's, it's truly amazing really appreciate you know how much Huzur of course works even us. you know you know the past few weeks Allah hopefully gives him great health. Hazur has been pretty sick. And you know what happens to us when we get a fever? We're like, ah, nah, man, don't touch me. I'm going to be laying in bed for a week. But Hazur was up. He was giving his khutbah. He was, you know, and you could tell visibly he was not well. He was not feeling well. He had a cough. He wears the brace because people shake the amount of people he meets. And they shake their his hand so often. So it's amazing how much Hazur does for the Jamaat. You know, we don't think about it. There's that viral clip that went around of Khalifa Tamsir Rabir crying about how that I, I wake up in nights to pray for you, for my jamaat, for my people, right? And we're lucky to have a leader like that. We're lucky to have Khilafat. Yeah, definitely. We should, and we should always really keep, uh, keep the, the Khalifa in our prayers. I, I think there's, there's one prayer, it's, uh, Allahumma ayyid imamana bi al quds like, yeah. yeah. It's 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 a may may um may Allah uh, assist our like God, or help our 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 leader with the Holy Spirit. Holy so I think, Spirit, correct. Yeah, yeah. We should we should really always try to you know recite that and really just keep him in our prayers. How much we always request um him for prayers, we should also uh pray for him as well. So of course, yeah, yeah. So just transitioning the the final two questions they they're usually typically for their their. Therefore, you know, the more worldly professions asking how they can serve the Jamaat. But since you're, you're a missionary, you're already serving the Jamaat, you know. So mm-hmm. I, I guess I'll, I'll just end because I know you said you're working with the Vasit department. So mm-hmm. I, do, I would just want to say, what advice do you have for students uh, in particular who are thinking about Vasit, but maybe they think it's too early or they don't, you know, have that much money, that pocket money. They think, you know, oh, what's the use? I don't get that much anyways. So what mm-hmm. kind of advice would you have for specifically students, you know, thinking about Vasit? So for students, I mean, you know, you want to you want to call it a loophole, but I mean, for students especially, it's very easy to join the seat because there's no like fixed amount that you have to pay. For students, they could pay based off of how much they make, or there's no like, for example, if if, if there is a student whose parents make let's say thirty thousand dollars a year. And he says, I want to pay like $5 or $3 or even $1, right? You know, it's okay to do. But there's, if there's another student, you know, he also, his parents make maybe half a million or a million dollars a year. And he says, you know, I want to pay $5. Although it's correct and it's okay, he can pay $5. It's our job as a Jamaat to you know, try to tell the person that, listen, Allah has given you more, to, so spend more in the way of Allah. The whole purpose is to inculcate that level of sacrifice for, within your heart because no matter how much we give in the way of Allah those dollars are not going to reach Allah right it's the amount of, of taqwa that you have in your heart that reaches Allah there's a hadith of the Holy Prophet وسلم, where Hazrat Aisha Razlatalanha had uh, a lamb at her home and she distributed majority of it and left only 
like one leg for her and the Holy Prophet So when Huzur came home, Hazrat Aisha Anha said to him that I have given everything away except this leg of the lamb. And Hazur actually connect, cor corrected her and said that, no, Aisha, you have saved everything except for this leg. Meaning, whatever you gave in the way of Allah is what you have actually saved. What you kept for yourself is what you lost. So this is, again, it goes back to the whole thing that no matter how much we have in our lives, we're never going to be satisfied. Then it's, it's true. You always want the next best thing. And the only way to purify your wealth and to do this is to sacrifice it in the way of Allah. Now, you know, there's people that say, you know, Hazrat Masihim said that you should be at a level of taqwa, a higher level of taqwa to join Masihim. And Hazur, in his um, conclu concluding address of Jalsa Salana UK in 2004, said that this is an excuse that a lot of our young people use, that we're not ready yet. But then Hazur says that to answer this excuse, he says that those people who say that we're not ready yet, they should be the first and foremost to join this system of the Siyat. Because obviously, if they're not at a level of taqwa where they feel they can you know, join the Siyat, Hazur says that spiritual journey that would otherwise take years will happen in months. And that which would take months will happen in days. So obviously, everyone who, who you know, is even thinking about Basit has some sort of spirituality. He has something in his heart that says that I should maybe do this, right? So this is something that will kickstart your spirituality. That if you sincerely start doing all the things that you're supposed to do, you're, you're, you're reading your five daily prayers, you're, you're offering your uh, nawafas and you know, doing tahajjat, you're sacrificing and giving chanda, sadqa, all these things. If you're doing these things and you're a Musi, Allah Ta'ala will experience expedite your level of taqwa. He will expedite the level of rohaniyat you have. So, I mean, that's the biggest thing. We're not, we're not promised tomorrow, right? You know, we're, we're young guys. We say, you know what? I, if I look at my life, I should have another 40, 50, 60 years, right? We're not promised tomorrow. One of the greatest basketball players literally just died in an instant. We, we were talking about him the night before and Kobe Bryant the next day dies in a helicopter crash. Right? And it was, it was a shock to everybody because nobody expected it because he was just in the news the night before and then all of a sudden he's gone. So this is something that we should always keep in mind that we're not promised the next day. We're not promised that we're going to be waking up tomorrow. So this is something that, you know, if, if, you're, if you're thinking about it, what is there to lose? You know, Allah Ta'ala is giving us our 100%. He's just asking for 10% back. He's not even asking. The promised Messiah is saying is that if you want to join the special graveyard, meaning the people who are buried in the special place, and, and keep in mind, it's not that the burial of that, of that person in that ground will make him heavenly. It's the sacrifices that he has done. And the reason they will be put together is so that people can look at them and say, wow, these are the people that made great sacrifices. You know, there's a reason why for over two years, has been talking about the companions of Badr. Why is that? You know, something to think about. Because they sacrificed so much. Because they sacrificed not only their wealth, they sacrificed their lives. In this day and age, we're not asked to sacrifice our wealth. I mean, our lives, right? We're not asked to grab the sword and go and fight. We're asked to sacrifice. Living in these comfortable countries, living in these comfortable cars and houses, we're asked to sacrifice a little bit of our, our wealth. Now, let me just put an example in front of you. Imagine if you have a younger brother or a younger sister 
and you give them $10, right? You tell them like, here, this is $10. So have fun. Two days later, you're in need of $1. Let's just say you're in need of $1. You have no money and you know your brother or your sister has that $1. And you go up to him and you say, hey, man, I just gave you that one, uh, $10 a few days ago. Let me, let me hold it at $1, right? And imagine that, that, that younger brother or younger sister saying, no, I'm good. I'm not going to give you that dollar. How would that person feel, right? He would be like so hurt. Like, wow, I just gave you $10. I'm asking for $1 back. You're not even giving me that. Just think about it in the perspective of Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala who loves man more than a mother loves his child. And we're doing that to Allah Ta'ala. Although he doesn't need our money, he wants to see the taqwa in our hearts. So when he gives us those $10, $100, when, he, when it's expected that we give something back in his cause, right? $10, $100. So just things to think about is like whenever you do something good in life, or whenever you're trying to do something good in life and something stops you, keep in mind, that's not you. It's shaitan. It's Satan. Satan's trying to stop you. So your, your battle with Satan is an ongoing thing. And when you, decide, when you finally do a good thing, that is when you know you have successfully beaten the Satan in that regard. And then when you have done something wrong, you know that right there and then you lost the battle to Satan. So again, if you're thinking about joining the Siyat, Think up, don't like think about further. Just pick up the book. It takes maybe an hour to read. It literally, it's a 58-minute audio book too. You can listen it, listen to it on the way to work or to to school. It takes literally not more than an hour. Just listen to it. Think about it. And you know, this is something that we all want to achieve. We want better spirituality. We want a better relationship with Allah Taala. And this is an opportunity for us. Hazur has given us that key that, you know what, if you want to join, then do it and then try and watch Allah Ta'ala take care of you. You know, the thing is, the victory of Ahmadiyyat has been prophesied and has been promised to the promised Messiah. It depends on us whether we want to be sitting at the front lines of that victory or sitting all the way in the back. That's, that's basically how I see it. Well, that's, that's, and that's, that's a perfect analogy for you know, for Allah providing for us because he is the ultimate provider. So if we're not, if we're being too greedy, we don't want to give anything back. It really does, you know, that analogy makes, you know, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And so, so definitely any student out there that's maybe thinking about Basiyat or, you know, they're on, on the fence about it, really use it as a catalyst to, you know, to grow mm-hmm. your spirituality. It's, it can be a perfect way to start. You don't have to, you know, uh, you can use it as a way to get, get further. You don't have to be, you know, at the tip of your spirituality to actually, um, you know, do start doing it. So, Zakumullah uh, Murabi Saab, that was an absolutely amazing uh, interview. I'm I'm really happy and thankful that um, Zakumullah for for joining us. Zakumullah for having me. I really appreciate it. And and for anyone, if if they want to reach out to me in the sense of uh, for for Basia, uh, information or anything, um, you can text me, call me, email me, whatever is easy for you guys. Uh, I'm always available. Okay, do you have any specific things uh, where people can reach you just in case they have questions? Um, or maybe, uh, yeah. Telegram, WhatsApp, whatever. Um, even if you want to send me a DM on Instagram, whatever, Twitter, <laughs> whichever way is easy. Uh, I, you want me to give my phone number out? I can do that. I have no problem. Uh, uh, that's fine. Yeah, we, we don't have, you don't have to. I think, yeah, if anyone wants to, there'll be ways, you know, on Telegram and, you know, WhatsApp, they can get in contact with you. Yep. Yeah, just for, you know, giving your time. I, I know earlier we talked about how busy as, you as Murabi on R, and it's just really amazing uh, that you got some time for us. Is there anything else you want to add? Uh, say anything else in closing or anything? 
Um, again, I just I appreciate you uh, giving me the time. Uh, again, anything that I, I mentioned today, it, it wasn't for the sense of showing off or anything. It's just that Allah Ta'ala actually does listen to His people. That if you are struggling about anything in life, just test it. Just turn to Allah Ta'ala, right? Just, you wanna have, what do you have to lose? 20 minutes of reading namaz, you know, writing a letter to Hazur. How long does it take? It doesn't take that long. So that's my only request, that if you're going through something, not, I'm not saying to try to test Allah Ta'ala, but, but actually put him to the test, right? Like see what, what you're missing. And Allah Ta'ala will help his people. That's the thing. Allah Ta'ala loves his people more than a mother loves his child. Uh, so that, uh, more, loves her child. So it's a big thing. That's a, that's a lot of love. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, that's a big thing with this podcast. It's MK Achieve. We do we do want, you know, students to achieve achieve a lot in this world, but we don't want them to also forget uh, the hereafter, Allah Ta'ala and those types of things. So that's really the reason yeah. that we do it. So Jazakumullah, Morabi Saab. Thank you everyone for listening to the second episode of the MK Achieve podcast. Uh, you can send your comments or questions to students at mkausa.org. Or if you have a guest that you want to recommend, you can send that there as well. So I say jazakumah to all our, our listeners and assalamu alaikum. <laughs>